0: Family is at the center of our conversation on this episode of the Discover the Word podcast. Now, I chuckled there when I said that because I just imagine there is a wide range of reaction to that being our topic, because I mean, this could go in a number of different directions. In the ideal, some of the best, most rewarding things in life can be connected with family. But in reality, some of the most difficult, painful things in life can also be linked to family. Discover the words are so buried.
1: With family, oftentimes it's a mixed bag. We often think that everybody else's family is perfect and that ours is the only one that has struggles. But the reality is we all have some level of dysfunction in Mm -hmm. our families. And over the next few conversations, we're going to actually look at how God works in even the most dysfunctional family situations to draw us close to himself and make people whole. And we're going to look at the first family of faith, as I call it. We'll see how God works in and through and in spite of their limitations.
0: And so who is in this first family of faith that we'll be looking at? We'll find out as we begin another hour of studying the Bible together on Discover the Word next. <music> Hi, I'm Brian Hedinger. Welcome to Discover the Word, the small group Bible study from our Daily Bread Ministries, in which we invite you to walk with us through topics and passages that inform the way we read the scriptures, uh, challenge us as we live our lives as followers of Christ, and always point us to discover Jesus in the pages of the Bible. Well, around the table with you for this edition of the podcast will be Marty Hahn, Elisa Morgan, Bill Crowder, and Rasool Berry. And it is Rasool's turn to lead as we talk about the first family of faith. And I think it's gonna be interesting to hear the range of family experiences that the group will be sharing with us as Rasul points them to some important lessons that we learn from this focus on family and this influential family in the story of the Bible and how God worked in them and through them despite their family dysfunction. All right, so let's pull our chairs up to the table and uh, get this started.
1: We're gonna be talking A lot about family over the next few conversations. So, as you think about your own family, what do you enjoy about your family?
2: I enjoy the fact that I enjoy it a lot more now than I did when I was a kid. (laughs) Um, When I was a kid, I was one of seven kids. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of sibling rivalry, a lot of kind of negative stuff when we were kids. But now that we're Allegedly, adults. I mean, we get along really well and mm. have really good f- friendships and
3: stuff. You know, I can relate to that so much because mm. my brothers and I, right now, we're th- we're just having the best time together. Oh. Yeah, you know, that's that's a new thing. <laughs> isn't, that, isn't that
4: nice? And it's because yeah. you survived, right? <laughs> you right. survived together. Yeah. I mean, our family was it was messed up. You know, my parents were divorced, so I had to you know switch back and forth at different times. I had hard relationships with different siblings. There was a drama in our family and a celebration in our family. My mom was very creative and made Mm. the holidays special. And, you know, I I still have really good memories. And Mm. I also got to watch my parents soften as they aged. Mm. And that was lovely to see.
1: Yeah, uh, my own family situation is also kind of diverse in that way. First, having a scenario where I was... Raised in a single parent home because, you know, my parents split when I was two. And then my brother had a different experience. He's older than me. So he actually was raised partly with our father, a father I didn't know that well. And so that was different. But the thing that was also a reality was just growing up poor, you know, and just not Mm -hmm. having a, a lot. But I remember... My grandma, am always saying we don't have a lot, but we eat well. And that was the thing. She was a caterer. She mm. was like the best cook in the neighborhood and everybody would come to get her food. And so to this day, all of my family, we care a lot about food and we all mm. cook and all that good stuff. Mm. So, yeah, that's a part of it. Um, I was going to ask, have you ever seen dysfunction in your family? But you all got ahead <laughs> of me uh, with that question and realize yeah. that, you know, it's, with family, oftentimes it's a mixed bag. Yeah. And the thing that's interesting is that we often think that everybody else's family is perfect and that ours is the only one that has struggles. Yeah. But the reality is, we all have some level of dysfunction in our Mm -hmm. families and over the next few conversations we're going to actually look at how God works in even the most dysfunctional family situations to draw us close to himself and make people whole and we're going to look at the first family of faith as I call it Mm -hmm. now when we hear the phrase first family what do you think of
4: president yeah yeah Yeah,
1: this is usually a sense of like there are models or at least supposed to be models for everyone else to kind of follow
4: sometimes in the church too yeah first lady you
1: know the pastor's wife, exactly. Mm -hmm. Well, we're going to look at Genesis 12, Abram and Sarai and their family, and we'll see how God works in and through and in spite of their limitations. So uh, let's start with Genesis 12, one through nine, and maybe we can break it up at about um, five.
2: Now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abram went as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran.
4: And Abram took Sarai, his wife, and Lot, his brother's son, which I always have to figure that out, it's his nephew, okay, (laughs) and all their possessions that they had gathered, and the people that they had acquired in Haran, and they set out to go to the land of Canaan. When they came to the land of Canaan, Abram passed through the land to the place at Shechem, to the oak of Moreh. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land.
1: Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I will give this land. So he built there an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. From there, he moved to the hill country on the east of Bethel and pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. And there he built an altar to the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord. And Abram journeyed on, still going toward Negev. Wow, there's a lot of detail there. Lots of detail. (laughs) And you know, one of the things that's interesting, you see a lot of family. So just even in this section, what do we know about Abram's family at this point?
2: Well, you really have to go back to the end of chapter 11. Mm -hmm. His father, Terah, and the family, the extended family, had lived in Ur of the Chaldeans. And they had migrated to Haran. That's where we kind of pick up Abram and Sarai because... Terah dies while they're in Haran, mm-hmm. and then the Lord calls Abram, okay, now you
3: need to leave this place and go to where I'm going to show you to go. Yeah, mm-hmm. Right, and then there's a preview, too, It goes yeah. way beyond, and it talks about how this family is going to have some kind of relationship and effect on all the families of the world. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah.
1: Yeah. Right, and I'm glad you brought up Ur of the Chaldees, because on a spiritual standpoint, when the Lord calls Abram to go and to follow him, that's a major departure. What do we know about what would have been the worship experience or religious affiliation with Abram and his family up until that point?
2: They would have been worshiping the, the gods of the Chaldeans. I mean, they would have been mm-hmm considered what the Jews would later call pagans. Right. And yeah. they were
3: probably deeply rooted to as a community because yeah. they weren't traveling. Mm. You know, no. It like wasn't a mobile society. Yeah,
1: yeah so the, you That's know so if we were to just kind of try to announce or identify the stakes, what were the stakes here for Abram being called by God to follow him and to leave?
2: It was everything. It the was. stakes were everything because at that point basically life was rooted in land and family. And he's told to leave this land and to leave your
1: father's house. And he takes his family,
4: but God goes, go to the land I will show you. He didn't even say where it is.
1: How's that for a road trip? Yeah. Are we there yet? I don't know. Yeah,
4: Yeah. (laughs) I don't know.
3: (laughs) So you think that was in Abram's mind at that point? Was Do you think it was traumatic for
1: him? Well, this is the part that for me, I can kind of relate to because my father had converted to Islam before I was born. That's where my name, Rasul, comes from. Mm -hmm. It's Arabic. And so when I started, sensing that God was drawing me to himself in the church, I didn't know how my family would react to that. And so I remember the first time going to church, i never forget it. I had a shirt and tie on and I tried to sneak out the house cause I didn't, I wanted to avoid any conflict with my mom. And right as I turned the knob, she kind of comes out the kitchen and sees me and goes, Oh, you look nice where you're going. Because there was no reason that we would have I would have been having a shirt and a tie on. And for a split second I thought about lying to her. Because <laughs> I didn't, you know, I was like, okay, I can't lie about going to church. Why were you going? Because I just started to sense that I needed answers that I didn't have about life, about who God was. On to your own. Those, on my own. Yeah. And so I say, I'm going to church. And she says, Oh, okay, cool. Pray for me. So I uh, <laughs> left, um, but there were even, you know, some folks in my family said so you're dishonoring your father's memory mm-hmm. by doing this. Yeah. And so I just remember the weight of that from folks who were close to me. So I can feel the tension that mm-hmm. Abram could be under when he builds this altar, not to the moon God that was worshiped in her, but to the Lord of mm-hmm. heaven and earth. Like that's a really challenging place, right? What you're describing, Rasul, is a variety of movements. You have...
2: The physical movement from Haran to the land I'm going to show you, this spiritual movement from his father's gods to this God who is calling him. And it's just, there's a lot of risk here.
4: It doesn't seem like Abram knew God before this moment either. Mm. It's just so out of the blue. And so
3: I wonder whether or not he would mm -hmm.
1: have had any answers. (laughs) <laughs> like
3: who called you yeah I mean yeah.
1: would he have known could you read March verse 7 and 8 because that question of like who would he even call on I think is a little bit mm-hmm. reference there
3: then the Lord appeared to Abram and said to your offspring I will give this land so he built there an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him and from there he moved to the hill country on the east of Bethel and pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and AI on the east and there he built an altar to the Lord and called upon the name of the
1: Lord, and Abram journeying on. So what does Abram's actions tell us about his faith at this point? He knows the name of the Lord, doesn't he?
4: He's obeying. <laughs> he's he's going.
1: Yeah,
2: Certainly, I think in the very least, we can say that his allegiance has mm-hmm. shifted mm-hmm. from whatever his history was religiously, if you want to put it that way, to now the Lord that will become the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Mm -hmm.
1: And so what we're going to see is that this doesn't end Abram's family issues at all. In Mm -hmm. some ways, they kind of ramp up from here on out. But he did trust God, and he did take this amazing step with all the stakes that he did. And interestingly enough, we kind of see in Galatians 3, 6 through 9, You know, oftentimes it said the New Testament is the best commentary for the Old Testament. Mm -hmm. And so there's a lot of Abraham in uh, the New Testament. I'll just read 6 through 9. So also Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. Understand then that those who have faith are children of Abraham. Scripture foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles by faith and announce the gospel in advance to Abraham. All nations will be blessed through you. So those who rely on faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So in the same way that God walked Abraham through his family's dysfunction, he can do the same with us. God is able to work through us to offer restoration in our families and our faith.
0: Ah, That is so good. As we continue to go through this conversation, we're going to learn much more about Abraham and Sarah and the generations of their family down through the years, and how God did work in them and through them despite their family dysfunction. You're listening to Discover the Word with Marty Hahn, Elisa Morgan, Bill Crowder, and Rasool Berry, as they talk about the first family of faith. And in this next segment, they are going to talk about the matriarch of the family, Sarah, what strengths and what dysfunction did she add to the story? Well, let's listen.
1: Have you ever struggled with not being able to meet the expectations of society? Are you
2: kidding? <laughs> <laughs> I don't really think in terms of society, but I think in terms of when I was a kid trying to live up to my parents' expectations. Does yeah, that count? Absolutely. Yeah, all the time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
4: Some of the ways that I believe God has gifted me don't necessarily fit in some of the Christian society. I mean, Mm. sometimes that's difficult, and I really want to honor people's interpretations Mm. of where I can serve, but sometimes that's been difficult for me.
3: Yeah, and I I think in terms of the inside, or what we consider the inside of people of faith, the the church community, I think because I I went into the ministry, I studied for it, and Mm. ended up being there, People assumed that I should have loved speaking. I didn't. <laughs> That's I right. didn't. Yeah, it was really, really difficult really for me, hard. and they didn't understand. I think how hard it was for me to step forward.
4: And so, in your role yeah. as the leader of an organization for a season, it was expected of you to enjoy that.
1: And it was a yeah. struggle. Yeah, yeah. I grew up with my older brother and a bunch of male cousins, and who loved sports and talking about sports, and just got me immersed in it. But I was. Kind of the run of the litter. I was the shortest person, male or female, in my class until I was in ninth grade. In wow. which case, I was the shortest boy until I graduated. And I just didn't have the physical abilities. You know, I loved baseball, and just I didn't have the arm strength. I didn't have the hand. I just couldn't do it. And I just mm-hmm. remember being so like frustrated and disappointed mm-hmm. with the fact mm-hmm. that this thing that I wanted to kind of get the affirmation of from others, I couldn't. And so it can be really a struggle when. There's these aspects about expectations or what people value that you don't really measure up to. And in Genesis 16, as we continue to look at this aspect of the first family of faith, right? So we, in our last conversation, we looked at Abraham. Somebody that we don't oftentimes highlight or focus on is Sarai or Sarah, as her name gets changed to. But in a lot of ways, she bore the brunt of these Mm -hmm. unmet expectations in a way that was very unique. And we see that she was desperate for a child in particular. Now, Sarah had a lot going for her in a lot of ways, right? She turned the heads of world leaders Mm -hmm. on multiple occasions Mm -hmm. in Egypt, right? In other words, she was beautiful. She was gorgeous, right? Her name, Princess, Mm -hmm. suggests that she was seen as precious from her family. Mm And at the same time, there was some family dysfunction issues, right? What were some of Sarah's challenges that you can remember?
2: Well, she wasn't able to bear children. Yeah. And in that culture, that would have been a tremendous problem for her because that was, to go to your expression of the expectations of society, expectations
3: of society for a woman as they were there to have kids. And think about her relationship to her husband, too. She must have wanted desperately to give him a child. Because the dishonor she was feeling fell on him as well. It did. Mm-hmm. He and was in the shadow.
4: Mm-hmm. And there was this odd situation when they were in Egypt, and he said, Let's pretend like you're my sister. Yeah. That- That was so confusing to me to read that descriptor. And I think, what did that do to her? It it Mm kind of left her unprotected in a weird way. Yeah. So that treatment Mm -hmm. from her husband and that society, that would hurt.
3: And if somebody says, what was going on there? What would we say?
2: According to the scripture, she was so beautiful Mm -hmm. that kings wanted to take her as one of their wives. And Abram was afraid that they would find out that he was her husband and they'd kill him. In order to get her,
3: if they knew he was the husband,
2: if they knew his husband, so he said, just tell him you're my sister. But not how my is wife. that protected? He was thinking a about protecting things. himself. He mm-hmm. wasn't thinking about protecting okay. her.
3: Okay,
1: yeah. And so, like I said, oftentimes we focus on Abram being the father of faith, but even in the midst of his struggles, how did that impact those around him, including and especially his wife? But then on top of that, for them to have this promise of having a child, but then also her not being able to fulfill that, that was something that we're going to look at how that landed on her. Okay. And so let's read Genesis chapter 16, verses 1 through 5.
4: Now Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children. She had a female Egyptian servant whose name was Hagar. And Sarah said to Abram, Behold, now the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Go into my servant. It may be that I shall obtain children by her. And Abram listened to the voice of Sarai. So after Abram had lived 10 years in the land of Canaan, Sarai, Abram's wife, took Hagar, the Egyptian, her servant, and gave her to Abram, her husband, as a wife. And he went into Hagar, and she conceived. And when she saw that she had conceived, she looked with contempt on her mistress. And Sarai said to Abram, May the wrong done to me Be on you i gave my servant to your embrace and when she saw that she had conceived she looked on me with contempt may the lord judge between you
1: and me okay there's a lot going on here uh, especially in the realm of dysfunction now first like in our world we can't imagine a scenario right where it would ever make sense for a spouse to say please you know be with (laughs) this person in our house the servant in order to bear a child right so that's just a, a gap that exists in our mm-hmm. context And there. Without trying to justify it, why would it make sense in this culture?
2: Because Abraham needed an heir. Mm-hmm. He needed an heir to take over the family holdings when he passed away. And until Isaac is born, the only heir he has is another one of his servants. Yeah.
3: Another complication is it seemed like God was holding out on him. I mean, he promised an heir, and now she's saying, but he's not giving us an heir. Yeah. So... How do we get around this?
4: Yeah. Anybody else ever take something into their own hands when God has promised (laughs) something? Well, I know how this is what I can do to help God out. Yeah. I kind of relate to her.
3: Yeah.
2: The specifics of this situation, like you said, Russell, are very foreign to us because you have the household servant and go sleep with her so that she can get pregnant and have a baby for us. And that's very off our radar. But surrogate mothers mm-hmm. is something that's becoming more common.
4: Yes, and usually that's done medically, yeah. not physically. Right, yes. that's right. Mm-hmm. It,
1: but that's a technological difference. It is. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Um, so if you didn't have the technology to kind of do that in the lab, well, laying with the person would have been the only way to make it happen. And in the culture, there were multiple wives too. So I mean, it's yeah, a matter
3: of degree, isn't it? Mm-hmm.
1: Exactly. Yeah. I'm gonna go back, Mark, to something you said. How did Sarai interpret her situation theologically? And we kind of get a glimpse of it in verse two.
4: The Lord has prevented me from bearing children. <sighs> wow. After he promised, now he's preventing. Yeah. Mm. In her mind. Yeah. What's in her mind
1: at mm-hmm. that point?
4: Mm-hmm. That, like, he's closed her womb, that it's his fault, that it's his doing. It's, yeah.
1: His mm-hmm. You get a sense that this is a burden for her. And we see that even in the outcome there's a sense of blame there's a sense of lack of control of what's going on in her life
4: victimization yeah 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 Mm
1: -hmm. what is this situation just in these quick verses what happens with her relationship with hagar and Abraham after her idea gets executed it is trashed it is
4: you know beyond repair yeah
1: she begins to
2: see the resentment of Hagar for her, because Hagar's done what she couldn't do, Mm -hmm. and that has somehow elevated Hagar's status in this dysfunctional family. She becomes
3: conceited at that point. Yeah. Mm -hmm
2: and that's a problem. But then all of this was Sarah's idea and she really gives it to Abram. I mean, mm-hmm. she really gives him a hard time. Says, Who does? Sarah. Sarah. Yeah. Does. She says, mm-hmm. all of the, the wrong that's been done to me is on you. I gave her to you and she now looks on me with contempt. God's going to judge between us. He wouldn't give us a child, but he's going to judge between us. You know, there's a lot of anger and resentment mm-hmm. there probably is a product of years of disappointment.
4: Don't you just think of that phrase, hurt people, hurt people. Yeah. I mean, she, He's just so wounded and so she's lashing out
3: yes it had to be a lot messier than you would get the impression just reading the text quickly you know, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm.
1: yeah and then you know we do know that some of Abraham's descendants especially Jacob that there is some favoritism that happens when yeah. one of the wives can bear more children mm-hmm. than the other and it becomes mm-hmm. this arms race right that yeah. we see you know <laughs> and it involved the servants as well as the wives exactly yeah, yeah. so and that's another thing that's interesting of how intergenerational dysfunction can be. We mm-hmm. see some of the same issues that Abram have mm-hmm. revisited with Isaac and with Jacob mm-hmm. and their family structures. Well, the next chapter we see, God reveals his promise hasn't been thwarted even by Sarai's idea and Abraham's listening to that idea. And he does reaffirm his commitment. We're going to talk about what happens with Hagar in our next conversation. So we're not leaving her completely alone. But what we see happens. In the next chapter in chapter 17 is really interesting so up until this point we know that God now reaffirms his covenant after years of apparent silence changes Abrams name to Abraham and then let's look at how God responds to Sarai in verses 9 through 15 And
4: now we're in chapter 18 right
1: yeah, yeah now we're in chapter 18
2: they three visitors who had come to their tents they said to him Abram Where is Sarah, your wife? And he said, She's in the tent. The Lord said, I will surely return to you about this time next year, and Sarah, your wife, shall have a son. And Sarah was listening at the tent door behind him. Now Abraham and Sarah were old, advanced in years. The way of women had ceased to be with Sarah. She was past childbearing. And Sarah laughed to herself, saying, After I have become old, shall I have pleasure, my Lord being old also? The Lord said to Abraham, Why did Sarah laugh and say, Shall I indeed bear a child now that I'm old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? At the appointed time, I will return to you about this time next year, and Sarah shall have a son. But Sarah denied it, saying, I did not laugh, for she was afraid. And he said, No. <laughs> But you did laugh. <laughs> I always laugh when I get to that part. Yeah. You know? No, you laughed. Yeah. <laughs>
1: but let's try to make sense of this exchange. Why does Sarah, you would imagine, after years of not being able to conceive, to hear this promise, would be met with more enthusiasm. Mm-hmm what's going on there that that's not her reaction she's a realist yeah
3: and and it's interesting she talks to have pleasure you wonder whether or not is that referring to to physical desire or is that the pleasure of having a son finally Mm -hmm. you know or maybe both yeah it could be both yeah Yeah. it It
2: almost sounds like the intimacy of marriage pleasure because she talks about how can i have pleasure i'm old and my husband's old too yeah you know but
3: there's also the implication of a descent of a child so
4: but isn't it i guess if you go beneath that and we're you've led us with this this screen of dysfunction, Rasul, you know, and and it's really helpful. How many of us, because life has unfolded in a certain way, we self- Negate. You know, we we take ourselves out of the process of what good could happen. We it's think it's too well, late. It's huh? too late. You know, I'm yeah. too messed up. You know, God's mean. You know, God's denied. He's closed my womb. You know, and we just give up. Yeah. I wonder about that.
1: Hope becomes too dangerous for yes. us. Oh, that's good. Know I mean? Because yeah. it's like, yeah, you know that phrase. Don't get my hopes up. Yeah. yeah. Because right. if I if I get them dashed again, I don't know if I can continue on. Yes. And so she struggles with that, but ultimately she ended up embracing the promise of god mm-hmm. because she still continued to try mm-hmm. to have a child mm-hmm. yeah. which actually happens and there's this interesting note that we get again new testament interpreting the old testament because there are aspects when we look at these you know little vignettes of sarah's life then you kind of go man i don't know was she more of a burden or an asset to this <laughs> story and in hebrews eleven eleven, it reads by faith sarah herself received power to conceive even when she was past the age since she considered him faithful who had promised
3: Mm. she got there didn't she She got there
1: she had a role
4: in it yeah yeah Yeah.
1: and aren't you glad
2: that the writer of hebrews put that in there because it sheds a whole different light on sarah yeah a much better light Mm -hmm.
1: sarai the wife who struggled with her plight became sarah the woman of faith who trusted god with her struggles not perfect Sometimes not pretty, but still precious. And in the same way, we can continue to trust God to work even through our struggles of faith, remembering that God isn't afraid of that struggle, but actually meets us in it.
0: In reality, we all bring struggle and dysfunction to the family. And I think this conversation is an encouraging reminder that even with that, God is at work. Well, when we continue, we're going to talk about a woman named Hagar and the important and yet dysfunctional and scandalous role that she played in this first family of faith. Family stuff can really be complicated, can it? And so a prime example of that, after we take a moment to tell you about a project that you have an opportunity part of with Our Daily Bread Ministries. Next week on the Discover the Word podcast, our good friend Dr. Jack Beck is going to be back at the table with us to give us a bit of a preview of where he'll be going with the Our Daily Bread Ministries film crew to record the fourth and final season of The Holy Land video series. Now, Jack is our biblical geography expert here at Our Daily Bread Ministries and in a fascinating way with these videos has made the Bible's geography meaningful. Uh, Jack, what have you heard about the impact of these videos? The observation I hear most often is people will say to me, man, this has completely changed the way I read my Bible. I'm seeing geography I never saw there before. And so it's my hope that as people have the opportunity to engage this video series, they will be changed as Bible readers. Yeah, that is our hope, isn't it? And so Jack and our team are getting ready right now to head over to Israel later this fall to film the final season of these Holy Land videos. And what we're gonna be doing for the next eight weeks on Discover the Word is see if we can help provide part of the funding for that effort. Now, obviously with inflation as it's been, Travel and all the things associated with such a production effort have become so much more expensive actually up 30 to 40 percent from previous seasons and Because Jack is one of our favorite guests here on discover the word We thought as a group that we might be able to help with that So right now when you go to our discover the website and click on the donate button You'll be able to give a gift to support Jack and our Daily Bread Ministries and Season 4 of The Holy Land. I'll certainly have more to say about this in the coming weeks, but I do hope you'll think about it and pray about it and consider being part financially of this far-reaching series of videos with Jack Beck. And remember, the place to give to that is on our website at discovertheword.org. Click Donate. And now let's listen as Rasul takes us to another chapter in the story of the first family of faith.
1: We've been looking at the first family of faith and looking at the intersection of God Connecting or intervening or showing up even in the midst of our family's dysfunction. Okay, and the first family of faith is who? The first family of faith, Abraham, Sarah, Hagar, (laughs) Ishmael, Isaac, you know, the family that, according to what we see in Galatians in the New Testament, Abraham is the father of faith, right? And so as we look at this first family Mm -hmm. of the faith story. And why would he be the father of faith?
2: Well, I think he's pictured as the father of faith because he's the one who believed in God, and the children of Israel became God's covenant family as a result of his faith, Mm -hmm. and they became progenitors of that faith as well. It's more, he's the father of faith
3: by his example of believing God. God had revealed himself to him, and that required faith on Abram's part.
4: Right, and there was the promise from God to him about... Producing a lineage for all generations and we can trace that you know on to Jesus and so there is a Also a family tree if you will. (laughs) Okay.
1: Yeah, so literally both genealogically and spiritually Mm -hmm. He's the kind of starting point in many ways of the faith that we now Can ascribe to or understand and believe but as we also have seen that journey did not come without its own bumps along the way and dysfunctions Mm -hmm. because family dysfunction is something we can all relate to. Mm -hmm. So let me ask you all this, because one of the things that can happen in family is people can feel unseen. Have you ever felt unseen or ignored? Yes. Yes.
3: Well, I'm (laughs) I'm, I'm, I'm having trouble with that Mm because I feel like I've gotten so much more attention than I deserve, even in the family, being a firstborn son. Yeah. And that kind of lingers that goes on and on. Mm. So I can't give you a quick yes. Well, you don't have
1: to. That's a good answer as well. And definitely in our next conversation about Isaac, we'll see how important that experience is in the process. But for those of us who have experienced that feeling of being unseen, let's just kind of unpack that a little bit more. Like, what does that make you feel? How significant or insignificant is that experience?
2: Well, I mentioned in an earlier conversation that I'm one of seven kids I have three brothers and three sisters. I mentioned that my brothers and I were very competitive. My brothers were great athletes. Just great athletes. Two of my brothers went through college on baseball scholarships. Mm. My third brother was state handball champion two Mm. years in a row. I mean, just great athletes. Mm. And when it came to sports, I was kind of a late bloomer. So my only response to their sports achievements was my report card, (laughs) Mm. you know, grades and stuff like that. So That's really rich,
4: Bill, and hard. I hear you. So I was middle-born, and and I I know how to get attention. You know, I learned that early. But even though I could get attention. Bill, you know, I still felt unseen in some really special ways that were painful. And it was like, I think I carried shame because my parents divorced and I felt some responsibility somehow. And my dad struggled to love demonstratively. I only saw him about once a year. And I remember when I was 16, and I I must have been like, love me or something, because I remember him saying something to the effect of, you know, the fact that he had to pay money towards My support to my mom got in his way. He said, you know, until you're financially independent, I'm not sure I can. And I was like, whoa. Mm. And that's a huge deal. So
3: you could not see apparent care in your father, right?
4: I couldn't. I couldn't. And later I could you know, when I was mm-hmm. financially independent, but also he softened. And, you know, that mm-hmm. that's a very hopeful reality. Yeah. You know, many of us soften as we age. And what I guess I'm trying to say is that there are clear moments when I felt unseen, but I also think I couldn't even see myself yeah. because I had so mm-hmm. much shame that I carried.
1: Yeah. and And oftentimes that sense of being seen Seeing yourself is reflected in other people seeing you. Yes. You know what I mean? Yeah, and so not when that doesn't happen. It's not all their then,
4: fault. It's, you know, yeah. my projection too. And yeah. hey, you
3: felt that way, Russell. Yeah.
1: So I was the youngest. I was the baby. And sometimes that just creates a sense of dismissiveness. I was very curious. Uh, I was sensitive and just kind of thought differently than those around and a, kind of a dreamer. And mm-hmm. so it was easy for folks just in a very kind of blue collar situation to just be like, look, we just trying to get stuff done mm-hmm. we're trying to survive, get your head out the clouds. Yeah. And okay. so, I didn't feel seen or, or encouraged sometimes mm-hmm. in my own sense of like just how I was, mm-hmm. just yeah. how I naturally yeah, yeah. engaged with the world. Yeah. Right. We're going to look at someone who often wasn't seen and sometimes still goes unseen in uh, in our attempts to understand the first family, and that's Hagar. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we're going to read her story in Genesis sixteen six through
4: fifteen. Okay. Then Sarah dealt harshly with her and that means Hagar. And she fled from her. Hagar fled. The angel of the Lord found Hagar by a spring of water in the wilderness, the spring on the way to Shur. And he said, Hagar, servant of Sarai, where have you come from? And where are you going? And she said, I'm fleeing from my mistress, Sarai. The angel of the Lord said to her, return to your mistress and submit to her. all is kinsman.
2: So she called the name of the Lord who spoke to her. You are a God of seeing. For she said, truly here I have seen him who looks after me. Therefore, the well was called birla It lies between Kadesh and Bered. And Hagar bore Abram a son, and Abram called the name of his son whom Hagar bore, Ishmael. Abram was 86 years old when Hagar bore Ishmael to Abram.
3: Well, what a story. Mm-hmm.
1: What Hagar, a story, yeah. right? We don't know for sure the circumstances by which she becomes a servant in the home. Some scholars suggest and maybe think that when they were in Egypt and Pharaoh basically said, hey, look, can... You you know, when the, when Abraham did the whole she, Sarah is my sister thing and God kind of cursed Pharaoh's house and they had to leave. But Pharaoh blessed them with, things and possessions and people on their way out. And some mm-hmm. suggest that maybe Hagar mm-hmm. uh, was part of that package. Mm-hmm. But regardless, what we do know is that Sarai essentially gives her to Abraham. We, we don't know if this is what Hagar to would To bear a son. To bear a son. Yeah. Right. And we don't know if that would have been what she wanted, but we do know that the response and why did Sarai mistreat Hagar?
4: Because... Hagar was mistreating Sarah.
1: <laughs> right. Yeah. right.
4: She was treating her with contempt. And, yeah.
2: yeah. Well, and also Sarah felt threatened, mm-hmm. I'm sure. Mm-hmm. She, yeah. she yeah. must have felt threatened because her, even though it was her idea, right. still yeah. Hagar had done what she could not do. She right. had given a son to yeah. Abram.
1: And Hagar did not respond well to that. Mm-hmm. No. I mean,
3: no. she became conceited.
1: And I wonder when it says contempt, in addition to the reality of, hey, I have a child and you don't. But I also wonder, like, what were the circumstances before she even got to that scenario? I mean, in one sense, it could have been a come up for Hagar. It could have been a status upgrade. So she could have relished that moment. But the other part was that once she gave birth to that child, it wasn't going to be her child anymore. It was going to be... Sarah's child to raise. And so And maybe Sarah
3: took her for granted at that point. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So so
1: mm -hmm. right. What we do know is that she was, you know, a woman that had very little autonomy and control over the things that were happening. And so when this mistreatment happens, she has no recourse. So she flees. And I love the way God responds to her and verse 13 now at this point Hagar is not God's plan that wasn't what he had revealed and I think at a lot of times it would have been easy to just write her off abandon her and just keep the story going with Isaac but God doesn't do that how does God respond to Hagar
2: well he sees her and he hears her but I hope this isn't what you're talking about because it kind of bothers me when the Lord says to her go back to your mistress and submit to her because right. I mean that would not seem to be humanly a really good solution to that problem right but she felt seen and and heard mm-hmm. by God and so she names the place after the God who hears.
4: Well I also think it's interesting verse 10 that the angel says I will multiply your offspring so that they cannot be numbered for multitude. It's like the promise that he gave to Abram and Sarah yes. he now gives to yeah.
3: Hagar. She's going to be mom of the world. <laughs> and he would already said
4: that that's what's going to happen with Sarah and yeah. so is this a zero power game now you know now the mm. promise has been stripped from Sarah and it's Put on Hagar. Well, we know that's not the case. Yeah. You know, God is able to do multitudes with multitudes. Yeah.
1: It's a really powerful thing that even though she's the mistress and this wasn't what God had intended, that God still doesn't punish her or Ishmael and in fact blesses and mm-hmm. sees, right? Ishmael's name means God hears. So there's all this aspect that God hears, heard your cry. By your at the well God sees you and this is the first time really only time we have this scenario of someone naming God you know what I mean in mm-hmm. this sense of relationship mm-hmm. and I just think that really gives us hope that if you're in that scenario of being unseen maybe there's some issues in your past or decisions that are made that people can see and go wait a minute I, that wasn't a good idea that you can know that that's not the end of your story. God can still bless you in the midst of it. No matter what form of rejection we may have received from others, God is present and he sees us and he cares. And that's good news. So we've been talking about family, family function and family dysfunction. Mm -hmm. But one thing I wanted to kind of just kick out to y'all, is growing up I always have heard these amusing stories around the time of my birth, like concerning that era, like my mom (laughs) being pregnant or something. Mm -hmm. And one of them that I just thought was hilarious because I was born in the 70s when the Roots miniseries from Alex Haley was out. And apparently there's a scene where his parents take Kunta Kinte out in the wilderness and, like, raise him up ah. to the heavens. Mm-hmm. And my parents did that to me. They were so <laughs> inspired. Oh. They used to go drive in Philly to Fairmount Park and then just offer me to God. But I think ah. I was listening. But in any case, have y'all had any scenarios about something you couldn't remember? But they were like, you know, when you were born or a baby, you did this
4: mm-hmm. or that. Yep. I have a, actually, I have the physical top of a gift box. It was flattened out. And my parents' handwriting is on it, and they were trying to construct my name. My last name, my maiden name is Lee. So my dad wanted to call me Lisa Lee, but my mom thought that was just too simple. So they started putting. Different prefixes in mm-hmm. front of Lisa. Ah. So you could see Melissa, Delisa, Felicia, you know, all of these derivations. And then it ended up with my name.
1: Wow. Isn't that cool? It is. And both cool. of their handwriting. And you could see it. You could I can see, see like it. the formation of you. Of in
4: me. A... <laughs> yeah, I have it hanging on the wall in my office. It's fun. <laughs> nice.
2: yeah. I've got a couple of real quick ones. One, allegedly, this is family folklore now. Uh, <laughs> allegedly, the first time my grandmom Johnson held me she told my mom and dad I was going to be a preacher. Oh, wow. Mm.
4: She prophesied over you. Mm. Yeah, that's that's what
2: I was told years before I ever even came to faith. That's cool. Mm. Um, But the one that I get the biggest kick out of is that apparently when my mom and dad were married, she wanted to name a son after dad, and he didn't want that. For some reason it just bothered him he didn't like that idea so they compromised on the fact that if there was ever a son born on his birthday he would be a junior and i was born on his
3: birthday that's crazy <laughs> that is wild That okay. is wow it's, you know i tripped into a story i was never told hmm. and my birth certificate says martin richard de Well, oh my dad's name is richard and my grandfather's martin But it ended up being Martin Ralph DeHaan, which was my grandfather's complete name. Martin. So it's just, but my parents never talked about the fact that they had intended me to be named after my grandfather and my dad, Uh but then it ended up just being my, I don't know. That just confused (laughs) me. Um, That's
4: a wild story too. That
1: is. That is. We've
4: got some great stories. Yeah.
1: And the interesting thing is that both of those stories that you guys just told, Bill Mart, relate to our next person that we're looking at, which is Isaac. Because what does Isaac's name mean? Laughter? It means laughter. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, why would his name be laughter? Because Sarah laughed. Yeah.
4: (laughs) Yeah. His mom laughed. And Abraham did too. Yeah, they yeah. both did. Yeah. That's right.
1: They, you know, and so so he's mom born about it. <laughs> <laughs> so imagine the stories that they would have heard growing up. You yeah. know, saying and then the angel came, right? And and, yeah. then, and then mom said, "I didn't laugh." Yes, yeah, you did. <laughs> <laughs> so, so just that whole hmm. context. But we're going to look at Isaac. And uh, examine who he is and see how he relates to this aspect. So we're kind of going into the second generation of the first family. I'm going to pick up the story in Genesis 22, very familiar passage, Mm -hmm. but look at it from a different angle and perspective. So let's just read the first eight verses.
2: After these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham. And he said, here I am. He said, take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love
4: He said, Behold the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So they both went together.
1: Now, we normally look at this story from the context of Abraham and his faith. But I want to look at this from the context of Isaac and what does this passage tell us about him. So what do we know about Isaac just looking at these eight verses?
2: He is a beloved son. Yeah. He's a beloved son. And I've always found that kind of interesting because in some translations it says, your only beloved son. Mm -hmm. And it sounds the way that speaks of Jesus in the New Testament Mm -hmm. and his relationship to
1: his father. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, you can imagine why. I mean, Abraham was 99, his name, father, exalted father, father, multitudes, and through this divine miraculous intervention and is saying this is gonna be the one who all the promises, all the things that you would have hoped and desired yeah. are gonna come true. Mm. So I'm sure he was very much considered precious to them. Yeah,
3: treasured mm. by yeah. a father who had not been able to have
1: a son. Yeah. And yeah. here it is.
4: And living out this prophetic okay. beginning.
1: Let's yeah. get a little bit more granular about okay. Isaac though. Okay. What else do we know just his age or what he's able to do or what he's thinking. He's in able the to carry the wood. Right. I mean, so he's not a toddler.
2: He's not mm-hmm. an infant. He's able to process intellectually the situation and point out a glaring omission in their preparations mm-hmm. for this event. Right. Knows There's how no
4: sacrifice. Offerings go. He yeah. knows yeah. how
1: offerings work. Yeah. And like you said, it's not just carrying wood, like it's carrying wood up a mountain. Yeah. So you have to be pretty strong to yeah. do that. There's also a sense in which he's familiar with sacrificing and so when we get to the place of the revelation when they get up the top that okay i'm going in now abraham in his mind sacrifice my son do you imagine or do you envision do you think that he was resisting this and trying to fight for his own life and survival
2: you don't get the impression that he is i mean the text doesn't specifically tell us but i mean if he was a young man or even an older child right you know his dad's 100 years old right you know i mean he could have gotten away if he'd wanted to right. but apparently he was willing to submit to this
3: he seems to have trusted his father
2: yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. yeah that's
1: right yeah he trusted him i'm
4: struck yeah. by verse 8 when abraham said that god's going to provide for the sacrifice then we're told so they both went on together you right. know you just see them continuing yeah. on it's mm-hmm. interesting yeah. it is mm-hmm.
1: and so later we found out a little bit more about isaac when he's older and seems at first that isaac will be drama-free, that the same types of issues that happen with his father and mother aren't going to visit him. But that's not what we see happen when he becomes a father himself in Genesis 25. Mm. Now, to kind of rewind a little bit, we see in Genesis 23, Sarah, his mom, passes away. He ends up getting married to Rebecca. They have twins together. Mm -hmm. And this is where we see some of the drama emerge again.
2: And what kind of drama was it?
1: Well, let's read the text. In verse 27, we see the boys grew up, Esau and Jacob, and Esau became a skillful hunter, a man of the open country, while Jacob was content to stay at home among the tents. Isaac, who had a taste for wild game, loved Esau, but Rebekah loved Jacob. There's the dysfunction. There it is, right? So what do we see in that? just in that couple of verses? One, the dysfunction is somewhat based on his taste for food food yeah mm-hmm. so because Esau was one that could bring him the food he kind of preferred Esau but then you have the other scenario where Rebecca you know probably likes the fact that Jacob is more of a homebody yeah more around the house and so yeah. she gets that time with him and what is the big deal about that about mm-hmm. seeing this type of favoritism happen in the family you know what does that do in family <laughs> relationships
2: well it misinforms both the favored and the unfavored mm-hmm. of, about who they are yeah yeah
1: yeah. Yeah. Uh, actually, in psychology today, it mentions that the consequences of parental favoritism are what you might expect. They are mostly bad. Disfavored children experience worse outcomes across the board, more depression, greater aggressiveness, lower self-esteem, and poor academic performance. And these repercussions are far more extreme than any benefits the favored child get out of it. And they also experience a negative sense of who they are as well. So... This experience that Isaac has with favoring Esau over Jacob, it creates another wave of conflict, another wave of challenge. And the first audience... You know, ESV study Bible notes tells us we see ways in which God and his sovereignty are using all kinds of actions, good, bad mix to bring people to a mm-hmm. place of themselves. Because we know at the end of Isaac's life, the whole situation with the stew, he wants to bless Esau. Jacob puts hair on his arm so that, you know, with for, the help of his mom, with the yeah. help of his mom, <laughs> so that he steals the blessing. And it creates enormous conflict yes. for Jacob and yeah. Esau for the rest of their life. And one of the last things we hear about Isaac is in Hebrews 11, Mm -hmm. where it says, by faith, Isaac invoked future blessings on Jacob and Esau. And Esau. Jacob and Esau. Both of them. So he gets a bow tied to him in spite of all of this. (laughs) Yeah. How do we reconcile that?
2: Well, man looks on the outward appearance, but God looks on the heart. I think we all make mistakes and we all do things wrong and we all sin and fail and all of those things, but sometimes we fail trying hard to do good or trying hard to do right, and I think God knows our hearts on that stuff. Now, I've talked about my dad a couple of times during these conversations. My dad was a good man, but he didn't have a whole lot of preparation for being a dad of seven kids, and I think he really did what he could, the best he could. but. When I saw other dads interacting with their kids, it wasn't like that. Mm -hmm. I I just think there's a heart issue that Hebrews opens up for us that maybe Genesis and
1: the narrative doesn't give us. And it's a heart issue that also reflects back on us about how do we deal with these dysfunctions and how do we deal with these disappointments? Mm -hmm. And so there's something that could be said for us that God used Isaac to bless both of his children. Mm -hmm. We often have complicated feelings about our siblings and parents. And God doesn't hide the way our family brokenness can affect us. But he uses this family to show us God's plans for us won't be thwarted by even our own family of origin. And the good news is that he sees us and he will bless us because his love covers a multitude of sins.
0: Yeah, what an encouraging part of our conversation about the first family of faith. No doubt that there was, and there still is, dysfunction and struggle and pain that comes with family. But God is at work, even with all our dysfunction. Well, one more part of this conversation to go. and In this last segment, we're going to fast forward from Abraham and Sarah and Hagar and Isaac, ahead a few thousand years to the most important person born into the first family of faith. And I think we're going to find that knowing the story of this family in a sense, injects meaning into the story of your family and my family by helping us see a bigger picture of things. So let's join the group back at the table for the conclusion of this episode of the Discover the Word podcast.
1: So we've been talking a lot about family, and today we get to kind of wrap up this conversation about how God can work through both the function and dysfunction of our family units to do something and to build something even greater than what we could imagine. Mm -hmm. And today we're gonna kind of speed up a few millennia after the initial challenges and the ups and downs of Abraham and Sarah's life to the point where we get to see the culmination of Mm -hmm. their hopes fulfilled. So, I want to talk about a hope fulfilled. Like, have you ever experienced a moment when your hard work and patience paid off? Mm. Yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <I'm sorry. laughs> Do tell. Yeah. <laughs> well, through a series of
2: circumstances that we would have deemed absolutely impossible, but yet they happened, we were able to pay off our mortgage mm. way mm-hmm. early. And I never. Could have imagined life without a mortgage payment, mm. but that's kind of where we are. It's wonderful.
3: The a huge relief. Oh, Bill, I relate to that, you know, getting the house paid off and yeah. the cars paid mm. off. Yeah,
2: it's a great feeling, isn't but it? I'm telling you a lot about my age, too,
4: right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's huge. And I guess I, I go to an obvious one of waiting for four and a half years for a baby through adoption and finally, finally mm. getting the call, you know, that I was going to mm. be a mom. That was... I didn't do any hard work and I didn't wait patiently, but but I got there. So Mm. that was pretty cool.
1: Yeah. I definitely had a taste of that moment when we were able to finally pay off our student loan. Mm. Oh yeah. That was, you know, and it took, almost 20 years my my daughter was like about to graduate high school and going to college herself (laughs) start all over (laughs) right right but we but we did it Mm -hmm. and it was a lot of hard work that went into it a lot of Mm -hmm. sacrifice that went into it and patience Mm -hmm. so we want to look at the culmination of abraham and sarah's promise being fulfilled in jesus but even as we look at Jesus' life the continuation of family function and dysfunction continues to emerge so we're going to look at Jesus's family there's two different passages where we get a glimpse of this in the Gospels the first is John chapter 7 verses 2 through 4 Could somebody read that for us
4: but when the Jewish festival of tabernacles was near Jesus brothers said to him leave Galilee and go to Judea so that your disciples there may see the works you do no one who wants to become a public figure acts in secret since you're doing these things show yourself to the world
1: so his brother is giving them this challenge or making this observation you know based on how we read this what, what do you think is going on here
2: well it says in the next verse yeah That his brothers did not believe in him. Right. Verse
1: five. For not even his brothers believed in him. That's the kicker verse. That's That's it. That's
4: huge. It's almost a snarky feel to it. Yeah, you
2: want to be this important person. Where are you hiding back here in Galilee? You got to go to Jerusalem. That's where the action is. But
4: you kind of hear this sarcastic. You want to be this, then go do that. Here's your marketing technique.
1: And I have to tell you, to this day, there's no one in the world that can get under my skin like my brother can was saying something <laughs> snarky like that like it's just and so he you can know, get in your head oh he does all the time text messages yeah. you know what I mean and there's love there but there's also just this it almost is like a, a superpower mm. that siblings can have sometimes it's, it's more just like your it. kryptonite <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> better way to put it so so yeah there's this sense of doubt yeah. and and not even just doubt but uh, even mild antagonism let's look at Matthew 12 46 through 50 and this is a Another passage where we see a family dynamic uh-huh. at work.
2: While Jesus was still talking to the crowd, his mother and brothers stood outside, wanting to speak to him. Someone told him, Your mother and brothers are standing outside, wanting to speak to you. He replied to them, Who is my mother and who are my brothers? Pointing to his disciples, he said, Here are my mother and my brothers, for whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister. And
3: mother.
1: Kind of an interesting reaction from Jesus, right? It, it
3: almost sounds like it turns things upside down, like Jesus is saying something, forgive me, that could sound snarky. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Like disrespectful, dishonoring yeah. Yeah. to his mother and brothers.
4: Well, it's definitely surprising that, you know, here's your mother especially, who has borne you miraculously at an immaculate conception from mm-hmm. the Holy Spirit himself as a virgin and taken all the hit for being, you know, somehow unfaithful and raised you and you're dishonoring her. What? It's yeah, surprising, I, isn't it?
2: Yeah, I think it's a little surprising until we re- remember that we play checkers and God plays three-dimensional chess. <laughs> that's you know, that's I good. Mean? Yeah. What,
3: uh, what do you mean by that, Bella? Well,
2: mm-hmm. what I mean is that as I hear those statements, I hear the potential of what you both are saying that it could sound like he's really dissing his family and stuff like that but if you try to reverse it and look at it from his perspective what he's doing is he's realigning relationships around the issue of faith as opposed to
1: blood genetics Mm -hmm. and this isn't the first time that he does that you know he does the same thing when he's 12 years old yeah and you know, they go to leave the festivals in Jerusalem and they realize after a couple of days, Jesus isn't here with us. They go back, see him sitting at the you know temple teaching and they try to challenge him or correct him. Well, how could you do this to us? Mm-hmm. And he said, I must be about my father's business. So there's this dynamic where mm-hmm. his father, right? <laughs> heavenly father mm-hmm. is calling him to do things that maybe his physical, biological family doesn't necessarily understand or see yeah. and I think that there's likely a happening in Matthew as well that they're wanting to pull him out of The scenario because there's some embarrassment there. There's some sense of you know, we know that his brother in John 7 doesn't believe That what he's doing. Mm-hmm. So if you got somebody around everybody's saying he's the Messiah And you don't believe it then the stakes of that in your own community and your own mm-hmm. standing are yeah. pretty high, too
4: I wonder how Mary felt <laughs> because his mother and brothers are standing outside. We know Mary was a believer. Right. Mm-hmm. His brothers aren't a believer. Mm-hmm. If you've been a mom with unbelieving sons, you want those sons to become believers, mm-hmm. and that's confusing too. Yeah. Because I would be like, "Well, what? You know, let them stay and listen and yes. acknowledge yeah. them, and you know, don't hurt." Th- Isn't that interesting? What yeah, we do? Yeah, it really
3: is, Elisa. And and Bill, I think your point too about the three dimensional comes into play here because he had a worldview mm-hmm. that was much greater than yeah. that individual yeah. and family. And
4: to turn it, like you're saying with the three-dimensional chess, that's good, Bill. You know, I don't know that he's being disinclusive no. or rejecting as he's being more inclusive. Yeah. Yes. That, you know, just as much as I love my mother and brothers, I love yeah. you.
3: And we see that the way the story plays
1: out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Exactly, yeah. And, and I think Mary does play an important part because we see mm-hmm. his first miracle. Where you know, she comes to him and says, "Hey, they need wine. What are mm-hmm. you going to do?" Mm-hmm. And he says, "Hey, it's my time yet, but then he does it. And then at the end of the story, you know, when he's on the cross, yeah. he takes care of her yeah. by assigning yeah. one of the disciples who's not her blood, mm-hmm. you know, to be the one that cares for her. yeah, and so i th- I see hope and comfort mm-hmm. when I look at that passage, and for anybody who's faith journey has caused them to be estranged in some way or have lost some connection with some way with their biological family. There's this hope and there's this comfort of the fact that, man, you have hundred times over brothers and sisters, fathers and mothers.
4: Even thinking about the moment of the cross, which is profound, Jesus assigns John as her son, yes. and her as his mother. Woman, behold thy son. Mm-hmm. And son, behold your mother. Yeah. And so there is a, a, an adoption of family in the family of God. Those yeah. roles, I, I think, are extended rather than you know yeah. made smaller.
3: So those relational ties can be spiritual in a way that can go much deeper yeah. than the physical. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah. And what mm-hmm. we do know is that following the resurrection and the ascension, when the believers gather in the upper room in Acts chapter one, Mary and Jesus' brothers are there. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So there yeah. is restoration. Yes,
1: yeah. mm-hmm. and, and, and to the point where James, you know, is now a leader in the church yes. in Acts. Why wouldn't you love to see that whole story? Oh, yeah. man. Yeah.
2: <laughs> well, the part of the story that I wish we had, I mean, you know, we always talk about, boy, I wish they would've told us more about that or whatever. I just wonder about the dynamic of that little family in Nazareth. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Having your older brother being Jesus. Yeah. what you know, what must that have been like for those other boys? <laughs> I mean, you know, I talked in an earlier program about the fact that my brothers were brilliant athletes and I wasn't. And I resented that yeah. as a kid. I resented that because they had what I didn't have. Well, okay. Multiply that by infinity, yeah, and you ha- got having Jesus as your brother. Yeah.
4: Maybe that's why they weren't believers. You know, maybe yeah. there was a great resistance. It'd yeah, just, resentment. It'd be too yeah. much to be sure. Yeah,
1: yeah. That sense of like, you act like he's perfect. Yeah, kind of is.
2: Yeah, Can you imagine how many thousands of times they said, "Why can't you be more like Jesus?" You know? <laughs> wow. And now we talk about that all the time. I need to be more like Jesus.
1: And so there's this beautiful dance that we see with Jesus between his spiritual and earthly identity. We've just Mm -hmm. been talking about that spiritual identity that even he bestows on us and everyone who's left houses or brothers or sisters Mm -hmm. or father or mother or children or lands for my namesake lands echoing all the way back to Abraham uh, will receive a hundredfold and will inherit eternal life. He says in Matthew 19, but then I wanted to lean into a little bit that genealogy aspect, the physical identity that goes takes us all the way back to the promise fulfilled. And we see that in Galatians chapter 3. So someone read verse 14.
4: He redeemed us in order that the blessing given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles through Christ Jesus so that by faith we might receive the promise of his spirit.
1: Paul goes on later in the Galatians 3 throughout this incredible chapter to explain, even through the use of grammar, that the seed is singular that God kind of reveals that will be the agent through whom he's going to bless the That's agents. the intent. Yes, yeah. Yeah. The in- intent is that it's going to be yeah. Jesus. And so we see this revealed in the promise, but then the, how that promise gets extended to us, this was the cliffhanger that I didn't see coming. Could someone read 28 and 29?
2: There's neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free nor is there male and female for you are all one in Christ Jesus if you belong to Christ then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise
1: Wow so not only does Jesus become the fulfillment through whom the name Abraham you know is going to be lived out father of many nations but then Paul takes it a step further to say in you those who believe are Abraham's seed and heirs, mm. according to the promise. God mm. redeems our family dysfunction, you know, just like He did Abraham and Sarah all the way through Jesus in ways that we can't imagine. Mm. We see in Abraham, Sarah, Isaac and Hagar, that God can accomplish His plans, even in the midst of hard and dark times. We see in Jesus' coming that through the family line of Abraham, His own immediate family, and even the tensions there, that God works even through family brokenness, to bring about healing from the first family of faith to our own families, one person at a time.
0: And I think that's something that I hope we'll all take away from this study of the first family of faith. And that is, as Bill said earlier, we're playing checkers while God is playing three-dimensional chess. There is a bigger story in all our stories, as there is in Abraham's, that members of the family all along the way had no idea about. But we can trust the one who does know and who is in control of it all. And we can be confident that he is at work. Well, Marty Hahn, Elisa Morgan, Bill Crowder, and Rasul Berry have been your study partners for these conversations about the first family of faith. Discover the Word is a small group Bible study from Our Daily Bread Ministries in Grand Rapids, Michigan, in which we invite you to walk with us through topics and passages that inform the way we read the scriptures, challenge us as we live our lives as followers of Christ, and always point us to discover Jesus in the pages of the Bible. And hey, don't forget to be part of our next podcast when our Bible geography expert, Dr. Jack Beck, takes us to the mysterious land of Samaria, and then to the Negev, and then to Jerusalem to help us see how big an impact place has in the telling of the story of the Bible. As always, it'll be full of aha moments when we see things that we've never seen before when reading the scriptures. All right, Jack Beck, our guest, when we get together for the next Discover the Word podcast. Discover the Word is provided by Our Daily Bread Ministry.